Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. I'm broadcasting today from Batavia, Illinois, just outside of Chicago, the TV studios for This Week in Agribusiness. I'll be co-hosting this weekend show with Max Armstrong. Well, coming up on our program today, we're going to talk with the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper. We'll talk about the uh, the meetings at the White House yesterday. The biofuels industry had a meeting. So did the oil industry. And uh, we'll get more information on that. We'll also talk about that and trade with Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association, will be joining us. And Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers will be with us to go over the latest ag equipment sales numbers. But as we talked about yesterday, a big rally today on the uh, mall in Washington, D.C. to promote the passage of USMCA. And let's go to Washington, D.C. for a report from that rally. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report is with us. Jerry, thanks for being with us. Tell us what's going on. Well, I'm standing right down here on the National Mall with the Capitol in the view and uh, this uh, uh, the, uh, this little uh, bus or minivan that has been traveling the country for farmers for free trade is here, and a series of members of Congress are speaking. In fact, there are more members of Congress here than they have time to have speak. So House Agriculture Committee Chairman Colin Peterson has already spoken. So has uh, the ranking member Mike Conaway from Texas. Uh, Kevin Brady, the, the highest-ranking Republican on uh, Ways and Means, uh, they've all they they have all spoken, and uh, now we're uh, having a few uh, a few more speakers. Um, to me, there's not much new to be said, but as one ag lobbyist said to me, we've got to show the flag. We've got to show uh, House Speaker Pelosi and others that we really want this to go through. Yeah, I think that it's messaging, right? It's to show there is a strong support. Uh, you don't want members of Congress saying, well, we're not hearing from anybody on this. Uh, it's a chance for the ag groups to get there and show not only that it's important to them, but uh, for the members of Congress that are there to show that there's bipartisan support for USMCA. Well, that's right. And there still are some challenges. Uh, yesterday, I was at the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture meeting in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, and they passed a resolution urging Congress to pass the, the uh, USMCA this year. But Florida voted against it because they're still upset about their, the lack of provisions on seasonal agriculture. So there's still some question about how the Florida and Georgia members will vote. Also yesterday, the National Farmers Union Board declined to take a position, saying they still, they want to wait until after there are these negotiations over these provisions on enforcement of several of the of the provisions in the uh, in the agreement. And of course, the big question: Can they get all that done and get it voted on this year? Uh, that is the big question. Uh, but my experience with them. <laughs> As many years of covering Congress is, if they want to get something done, they can get it done, uh, especially in the House of Representatives, where, uh, you know, things the one party is really in charge, although with this, they're probably going to need the votes of two parties uh, because there's going to be opposition within, uh, within each party, as there usually is on trade measures. 
All right. Uh, we're hearing a lot about climate change in this presidential campaign. Um, I know you were at the State Department of Agriculture, the NASDA meeting, as you mentioned. Uh, what did the, the ag directors from the states uh, have to say about climate change? Well, they're becoming concerned about, uh, about its impact on agricultural production. Uh, and so they want, uh, uh, they want more, uh, more attention paid to it. Uh, I can't say that they came up with specific ideas. Uh, but just the fact that they made it an agenda item for themselves uh, shows that people who are concerned about climate change have made some progress. And, you know, we're, we're hearing a lot again about uh, carbon and sequestration and capture and things like that. We've been down this road before. Do you think it'll be different this time? Well, we're seeing more Republicans interested in it. Uh, but something else that I think I should note to you is that Colin Peterson, the House Ag Chairman, uh, just told the people here that he, so far he's not satisfied with what the uh, uh, White House is trying to work out on biofuels. He says unless you get up to 15 billion gallons of, of ethanol, uh, he's not going to be satisfied. And the report that he saw yesterday from the White House or what he's gotten on paper is not satisfying to him. That's interesting. If Colin Peterson is not happy with what's coming out of the White House on this, and we know that uh, Senator Grassley has had some real concerns with it, uh, those are pretty two strong voices that are speaking out against what is being uh, at least uh, mentioned to be in the package coming from the White House. Well, especially since yes, uh, this week, uh, Senator Grassley said that the Obama administration was better on the RFS and the small refinery waivers than the Trump administration is. That could give Trump some real problems in Iowa. So yesterday he talked, the president talked with the biofuels industry and he talked with the oil industry. He's still trying to find that middle ground to try to make both sides happy. He's not having a lot of luck on that. No, and I think the situation reflects the fact that uh, while the president is emotionally committed to the farmers, his real first priority is, Amer is American manufacturing. Though that's what he considers his base, those people who are unhappy about it. And so he keeps trying to satisfy them. I'd say, have to say they're number one and farmers are number two. It also sounds like the White House is trying to pressure both sides into uh, agreeing to something uh, this week yet, right? Uh, that's, that's from what I hear. I just got back last night at midnight from the uh, uh, state ag commissioner's meeting. So I'm not quite up to speed, but I believe that, uh, that that's right, and I think there's supposed to be some more meetings. All right. Well, Jerry, we'll let you go. What kind of turnout is there? I, you mentioned there are a lot of members of Congress there. Are, there. are there a lot of folks in attendance there on the mall for this USMCA rally? Well, I can't say it's all that big. I think it's mostly people who work for lobbying organizations and work for congressional staff. Uh, you know, the Farmers Union uh, had their fly-in, but they left yesterday, and they haven't taken a position in any case. Uh, so I can't say that it's all that, uh, all that big a crowd. Uh, I think the greatest thing is this um, vehicle with uh, all the signs about past USMCA uh, that's uh, right uh, uh, un well, it's uh, uh, maybe about two blocks from the Capitol, but the Capitol's right there in the vision, and they would be using a lot of that in their advertising. All right, Jerry, thanks for the report. We'll talk again soon. All right, Mike, always good to talk to you. Thank you. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report.
Reporting from the National Mall, Washington, D.C., where the USMCA rally is going on today. We'll talk more about that a little bit later on in the program with Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. But up next, more on uh, the situation over the RFS. We'll talk with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, his thoughts on the meeting yesterday and where this might go. Stay with us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95... I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me. Your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, always enjoy talking with former Secretary of Agriculture, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack, who joins us now. Well, let's talk about some trade issues. We have a uh, deal with Japan, although we don't have the details. It's not formalized. What's in it for dairy that uh, you're happy about, excited about? Well, Mike, I think we have to be a little bit cautious about this because, as they say in the trade world, unless everything's agreed to, nothing is agreed to. I think there are still some very significant uh, work that has to be done between the Japanese and the United States. But I'm, I'm hopeful uh, that by the end of this month, President Trump and Prime Minister Abbey can uh, make an announcement that hopefully will level the playing field for U.S. dairy in Japan. It's our always one of our top five markets. I just got back from a visit in Japan. There is tremendous opportunity on both the cheese and ingredients side in that country, but we are currently at a disadvantage to our EU and New Zealand competitors because they have free trade agreements. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. 
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So a couple of big meetings at the White House yesterday over the RFS. Let's talk about the the one with the biofuels uh, component. We'll talk with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association now. Jeff, thanks for being with us. So who attended that meeting at the White House representing biofuels? Well, Mike, there were seven or eight companies represented, uh, no trade associations in that meeting, uh, a lot of biodiesel producers uh, in that conversation. Uh, and it was really just the, the latest in a series of ongoing conversations around the RFS, uh, around you know what President Trump has described as a, as a big package that is being uh, assembled to hopefully undo or, or reduce some of the damage that's been caused by the SREs. Uh, we don't think anything was decided in yesterday's meetings, uh, so not not terribly consequential, I don't think, at this point. Um, you know, I think it was really just a matter of the White House uh, staff uh, ensuring that, that they fully understand everyone's views on, on these issues. Do you feel like you're being pressured at all by the White House to, uh, to accept some type of an agreement? Well, I, you know, I, I think there, there was... Uh, uh, the you know several ideas floated uh, last week, um, you know to ostensibly uh, appease farmers and 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 you know with the goal in mind of of the president being able to roll this package out in somewhere in the Midwest. Uh, as we looked at it, however, it didn't it just didn't have what we thought is really going to be necessary to keep more plants from shutting down. And to really stem the bleeding and 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 stop the bleeding that we're seeing in the industry today, uh, you know, the biofuels industry, Mike, has been 100% unified on what we think is needed to repair the damage that's been done by these small refiner exemptions. And, and there's really no daylight between any of us, uh, whether you're talking about the 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 you know the commodity groups or or biofuel groups, we're all saying the same thing, and that is, look you've got to account for small refiner exemptions prospectively when you do the annual RFS rules and that needs to start with the 2020 RFS rule that is uh, under review right now uh, and supposed to be finalized by the end of November and and what you know what that does what what, what you do when you add in prospective uh, redistribution is it ensures that 15 billion gallons doesn't slip backward to 14 or something less than 14 billion gallons when you go out and, and, and approve a bunch of small refiner exemptions. We're not saying you can't give those exemptions out if they're warranted and, and if the small refinery has demonstrated that it needs one. We're just saying if you do that, uh, you need to make sure that the volume that refinery would have been responsible for blending is, is accounted for and is made up by some other refiners. So is the president getting pressure from the oil industry not to reallocate those gallons? Well, we know that the, the, the idea of redistribution is not popular with uh, many in the oil industry. It, it sort of uh, you know, has, has divided uh, the oil industry. Uh, a lot of the small refiners you know, could care less if, if, uh, if there's redistribution of, of their obligations. But the larger non-exempt refiners, uh, of course, don't like the idea of taking the, you know, the obligation from a small refiner that was exempted and, and adding that to theirs. So, um, yes, they, they are weighing in with the White House. They're weighing in with the president, expressing their, 
uh, opposition to this, uh, uh, you know, to this concept. You know, our, our point has been there really isn't a choice here, though. I mean, it's if if you want to enforce the law that's on the books, uh, there's no choice. You have to do this. You have to prospectively reallocate these volumes. Uh, otherwise, you're violating the law that Congress passed in 2007. Um, so that that's been our position, and and we're standing by that, and and. Uh, you know, I think we've expressed very effectively that, that anything short of that, uh, any package or deal that doesn't include that sort of uh, redistribution just isn't going to help us much in the short term. And, and we know what's happening in our marketplace today. Uh, we've got plants shutting down 17 or 18 now uh, over the last year. Uh, and if we're going to stop more plants from shutting down, this is what's got to happen. So do you think the president was really caught unaware, caught by surprise at the pushback that he's getting now over these uh, small refinery exemptions? Do you think he was just being told, whether it was by Andrew Wheeler at EPA or whoever, that uh, these waivers would not uh, cause him these kind of problems in, uh, in farm country? Do you think he was actually that unaware? I think he got some some really bad advice, Mike, uh, from from someone about the impact and the reaction to these uh, this latest round of exemptions. Um, I don't think uh, the president or or anyone around him in the White House was uh, fully ready for or prepared for the sort of response that has come uh, after August ninth when the, these thirty one exemptions were announced. Um, you know, I, I think you've you've heard it and seen it, um, and and we certainly have. Uh, farmers are upset about this, and and I think a lot of them feel like, look, we have uh, stuck with the president through the, the trade wars. Um, we've stuck with this White House through through other, uh, you know, other incidents and and things that have not been great for agriculture. Uh, but this is an issue that that is fully within the the, the control of the White House. Um, and, and so, you know, let, let's not shoot ourselves in the foot here. And, and let's, you know, when, it, when, when we have an easy layup here, let's take it. And I, I think a lot of farmers are upset um, about this. Certainly uh, folks in our industry are very upset. Uh, and so we're just, we're just asking that, uh, you know, the, the way to fix this is, is pretty straightforward and pretty simple. It's actually been recommended uh, by the Office of Management and Budget two years in a row now as they've reviewed uh, draft RFS rules from EPA, so they know how to do it. Uh, let's just you know close the deal and, and get this done. Let's enforce the law that's on the books. We're not asking for a big um, you know pa- package full of full of bells and whistles and a bunch of handouts. We're just asking that EPA enforce the law. Because really, when you look at it from a farmer standpoint, through policies now of the administration, you've lost export market share, China. And you've right. lost domestic market share because of the exemptions. That's right. We we had uh, you know 200 million gallon market in China, and it was growing rapidly. Uh, we're not exporting a drop of ethanol to China today because uh, because of tariffs they've put on U.S. ethanol uh, in retribution to tariffs we've put on their products. Uh, so that market's been shut down. Uh, we continue to, to struggle with access to Brazil, which has been our largest export market. Uh, because of trade barriers enacted in that country. Um, and so, yeah, we're dealing with, with those barriers uh, on the international market, while at the same time we're seeing uh, erosion of domestic demand 
because of these small refinery exemptions. And I, and I think, you know, the industry just hit its breaking point on August 9th when this, this you know, round of 31 exemptions was announced. Uh, it's just, you know, I think everybody knew we just, we can't take anymore. Uh, and so I think that's been uh, conveyed in the response to these exemptions and, and, and the anger that you've, you've seen and heard over the last month or so. Uh, and so we're very hopeful that that's going to translate into action that actually begins to repair the damage that's been done by these SREs. Because now that he's talked so much, the president's talked so much about this package coming, he's delivering the industry. Yeah, I think that is a, a Mike, and I, and I, you know, I think uh, our suggestion, uh, you know, a, a bad deal is worse than no deal at all. So let's make sure that this uh, this package actually includes measures that are truly going to help out uh, the the intended you know recipients who need the relief and who need the help right now. And that's of course our, our farmers and and our biofuel producers. Um, the only thing that's going to to immediately turn the tide and, and help things in our marketplace is you know, putting that perspective redistribution in the 2020 RFS. And, and, and by the way, also complying with a court order to add 500 million gallons uh, that the Obama administration uh, illegally waived back in 2016 that, that EPA hasn't gotten around to doing. So do those two things, and I think uh, you're going to see a significant change in, uh, you know, what's happening in our marketplace and, and a significant change in, in the sentiment uh, of our industry and the farmers who support us. So we continue to wait to see what they decide. Jeff, as always, thank you uh, for keeping us up to date, and uh, we'll talk again whenever we get word from the White House. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Well, we'll talk about both trade and biofuels with our next guest. We'll be talking with the CEO of the American Soybean Association, Ryan Finley, up next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after Dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. 
Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. On this Thursday, I am broadcasting from the Big Iron Farm Show that is underway at the Red River Valley Fairgrounds in West Fargo, North Dakota. Show wraps up later on today. Also, later on today, we'll see new WASDE numbers from USDA. After being stung with two bearish reports so far this season, grain traders have to be wondering if USDA will do it again today when they release the first field-based yield estimates for corn and soybeans on Thursday. This 2019 U.S. crop season continues to be like no other in recent history. That means surprises may still be waiting before the harvest is actually wrapped up. For today's report, though, USDA's crop estimates for corn and soybeans could only see minor changes. With today's market numbers an hour into the session, here's Kirsten Rawl. An hour into this Thursday's trading day, December corn is trading a penny and three quarters of a cent higher at 362. November soybeans up 19 and a fraction of a cent at 885 and three quarters of a cent. December Minneapolis spring wheat up three and a fraction of a cent at 505 and a half cent. December Kansas City wheat up three cents at 401 and a half cent. December Chicago wheat up six cents at 4.83 and a half cent. For livestock at the Merck in live cattle futures, the October contract up 27 cents at 98.77. The December contract up 62 at 104.25. September feeder cattle trading 85 cents higher at 136.92. October feeder cattle up 55 cents at 134.57. October lean hogs up $3 at 63.17. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, as we've been discussing this week, agriculture is really making their case in Washington, D.C. to members of Congress about the importance of passing USMCA this year. Let's talk about that with Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Ryan, thanks for joining us. It sounds like uh, the message is being delivered pretty loud and clear and it sounds like there's momentum, but yet we hear about concerns about, uh, uh, you know, different uh, enforcement issues and some other things that still need to right. be worked out. So uh, the question is, will they vote on it this year? 
Well, we are hopeful that they're going to do that. That's a term that I think I've used just about every time we've had this conversation on trade is, is hopeful. But that's where we're at. So um, yesterday it was reported that Ambassador Lighthizer was going to formally send a response to a number of Democratic House, ma- uh, House lawmakers that had questions and inquiries into the negotiated deal that, that we have right now with Mexico and Canada. And while we haven't seen what those responses are, and in fact, we just heard that it was going to be sent. We don't formally know if it was sent, but that's a really positive sign in our in our view that he is prepared to send that response up. Now, this isn't the formal agreement going to the House, but there is progress being made, and I think that's what we're looking at. So, if this is a good a good faith gesture by the administration to say. We heard your concerns. Here's our proposal on how to address those concerns. That will be the really big step that needs to happen to see if we can actually advance it this, this fall. Yeah, some of the people that are holding out yet, um, you have to wonder, are they looking for ways to make it work or ways to stop it from working? Hopefully they're looking for ways to make it work. Yeah, exactly. I think that there's enough political pressure right now that on both the House or on both the the Republican and the Democrat side, that there are individuals that have a concern right now. It would certainly be more on the policy side than the politics side. But, but who knows? That could all change very quickly. I think a lot of people recognize that when we have a neighborhood of North America with Canada, Mexico, and the United States so close in proximity. They're huge trading partners of ours. In fact, from an aggregate standpoint, they're, they're beyond China. If we include everything, it's beyond China. So it's really a beneficial trading relationship, and they're allies. So to have USMCA pass to improve that relationship makes all the sense in the world. It's certainly good for U.S. agriculture. It's, it's great for U.S. soybean farmers. So it's something that we need to see, and, and we're continuing to remind legislators of that um, and staff spent a lot of time over the August recess talking to staff in D.C. to say this is a really big deal and this is really important to U.S. agriculture. Well, I think agriculture certainly made its case, so we'll see what happens. Meanwhile, here we go again with some, some little glimmers, little, uh, little rays of hope maybe that something could be happening with China. What are you hearing? Well, uh, I think about what everybody else is in the news that – The administration has has indicated that we will likely see negotiations happen next month. So at some point in October, the negotiations are going to kick off again. And and what we are hearing is that that will happen in Washington, D.C. Now, we have talked to some administration officials that have said between now and when those negotiations officially kick off, there are some soft conversations going on behind the scenes just to set the stage for that. And that, to me, is a really good sign, that we're, we're, the channel of communication is open a little bit, and that's going to allow for what will hopefully be a strong negotiating session in October. But we've been here before, and so our message to the administration through USDA and USTR and, and the White House officials that we've talked to is prove it. If, if we're going to be at this stage where China wants to engage and we want to negotiate Farmers have heard that before over the last year, and we're, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of tiredness, a lot of anxiety in the countryside, as, as you know and as your listeners know. And so our message to, to the administration has been prove it. We want to see this 
a negotiation advance, but we need to see positive results. So the president talking about delaying the next round of tariffs on Chinese products and also an effort to maybe, uh, uh, I think, on the ch- Chinese side, they're wanting to kind of narrow the scope of, uh, of discussions. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But there has been some talk, and again, these rumors that maybe that opens the door for some sales of pork or soybeans uh, to China. Yeah, and that would be good for U.S. ag. I mean, everybody, that's what we want to see is this open um, open door where we can start negotiating, or not negotiating, but we can start sales again with China. But I'll tell you, when we see deals that China made with Argentina this week, well, it was technically a few weeks ago, but it was announced this week where China is going to allow Argent, Argentine soy meal exports into the country, into China. That's a that's a concern. I mean, they're Argentina and Brazil are major competitors of U.S. soybean, and if China continues to establish these relationships, this is part of that long tail that we've been talking about for the last year that we're concerned about. Even if we negotiate and, and reach an agreement today, there's going to be a long-term impact of what this looks like between China and U.S. relations on, on soybean purchases. Yeah, that's, as we've talked about many times, you have to look beyond whenever an agreement is reached, if and when that happens, uh, what's the aftermath of this? And it's going to be felt for years to come. Unfortunately, you're right. We're talking with Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. All right, let's switch to the biofuels uh, issue and uh, the meeting held yesterday at the White House. And we know the biodiesel industry was represented. Still no announcement on what the package may be and some concerns of what it might be. Yeah, I think that the, the big news from yesterday was really looking at all of the organizations and groups, whether it was national corn corn growers and ASA or National Biodiesel and Renewable Fuels Association and POET and Growth Energy. and, and, and um, So we had all of these groups come together and say, boy, this is really what we need. And, and that request is pretty simple, and that is the small refinery exemptions that are out there are eroding the renewable fuel standard. And so as we have the renewable fuel standard, we need to make sure that there's consideration made when we set these volumetric obligations or the amount, the level that the RFS is going to be at, that we take into consideration the impact the, the small refinery exemptions have. So it's just an accounting thing, but it has a really big impact on, on both biodiesel and ethanol. And from a biodiesel standpoint, I think that the message has been heard loud and clear at at USDA, at EPA, and at the administration. But I think it's really important that all of the biofuels industry, both farmer groups and the trade groups, have been um, on the same page when it comes to the messaging. And that was the key takeaway. And I think the, the president has certainly heard that message loud and clear. Yeah, it's important for him to understand, I think, and to hear that, and, and I realize the payments that have been made, the MFP payments, help. But it has to be explained again that, hey, we're looking at loss of export markets, and now because of these waivers, loss of domestic markets. That's a double whammy to farmers right now. It really is. And I think we just said it a minute ago, and it, this isn't just about right now. So when we talk about the market facilitation program, that's a, that is an assistance package that is a bridge from where we are right now to get farmers to the next year. 
But if we're, if we're looking at biofuels and we're talking about the small refinery exemptions, these SREs, that's going to have a long-term impact. If we're looking at trade negotiations with China or Japan or USMCA, that's going to have a really long-term impact. And so while the, the MFP payment that farmers received and was certainly helpful to many this year and last year, this is really about us saying the policies that we're talking about are going to have a long impact on them. And so we have to, we have to focus on getting the policy right. And when it comes to biofuels, if we, don't, if we don't change the direction that it's going right now, it's going to continue to erode and not have the benefit that, that farmers need, that rural communities need, and quite frankly, that American consumers want in their, um, in their liquid fuel source. And speaking of long-term policies, we're hearing more and more about some type of climate policy. We're hearing it from presidential candidates. It's being discussed more and more. Uh, what, as an association, Ryan, are you looking at as far as where we go from here on something that will uh, work for agriculture? Because we've been down this path in the past where it seems like it was a very punitive to agriculture. How do you see this moving forward? I think that it is all over the board right now, and everybody is really trying to figure out what does this look like, what, is the, what are the options that are out there. I, I will tell you from the American Soybeans Association standpoint, we are in Washington, D.C. to establish a baseline to say that if we're going to be talking about sustainability, if we're talking about carbon, if we're talking about some type of trading mechanism in the future, whatever it is, we need to recognize that agriculture has been a net benefit environmentally. And what we have done over the last 50 years of improving our footprint is incredible. Farmers are amazing, or farmers do an amazing job at improving efficiency on a regular basis. And if we look at how much corn or soybeans or wheat we could produce on an acre and what the inputs were 40 years ago and what we can produce with the inputs on that same acre today, it's remarkable how, how um, the efficiency gain that we have seen across all of agriculture. And so we're, we are spending a lot of time in Capitol Hill, on Capitol Hill, with that message right now. All right, Ryan, good to talk with you again. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Have a good one. Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org.
public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Joining us now is the Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council, Liz Wagstrom. Liz, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Mike. Could you give us an update? Uh, what is the, the situation with African swine fever in China and other countries in that part of the world? Uh, where are they with trying to get it under control? We continue to hear that China has ongoing ASF outbreaks what we're hearing from the government may be a little different than what we're hearing from people who actually work in China. And then we've seen it spread throughout Southeast Asia. So Vietnam has been very transparent and, and talked about the spread of ASF throughout the entire country of Vietnam, and then it's spread to some of the other countries there in Southeast Asia. And continues to have a slower spread, but continues to kind of march through the Baltic countries and Eastern Europe as well. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer in 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me. Your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. 
Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, each month we take a look at the latest ag equipment sales numbers, so we'll take a look at the August numbers. Joining us now is Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Kurt, good to talk with you again. What are the numbers? Uh, what do they tell us? Well, we got the numbers uh, from August in uh, last week or earlier this week, and I'll tell you, for the U.S., we're, uh, we're a little bit surprised that they uh, they, they kind of uh, show us a little bit flat to last year, uh, month over month, year over year. And I think what we're kind of saying is that sort of despite the headwinds that, that we continue to see in the ag industry, the, the tractor numbers are actually holding out okay um, you know, for, for August anyway. Uh, let's break it down on tractors, higher horsepower, uh, kind of break it down for us so on which uh, showed uh, uh, much movement one way or another. Well, you bet. So high horsepower, as you mentioned, the articulated four-wheel drive tractors, the big tractors, uh, they've been a pretty nice uh, pretty nice market for uh, for the tractor industry this year. We're seeing about 12 to 13% uh, year over year and almost close to 20% month over month uh, in, in the for the month of August for articulated four-wheel drive tractors. And I think that's uh, you know, obviously that's an indication of big, big tractors. Those are big investments. The other thing we have to look at when we talk about that particular market is that includes a lot of tractors that are sold for construction. So it's a little bit about ag, but it's also just about those units being sold. If you go into some of the other markets that uh, you know have been interesting over the last couple of years, and specifically here in the United States, the uh, the under 40 horsepower market has been has just been on fire for the last you know, couple of years. We're still about five percent up year over year uh, on the under 40 horsepower. But even the month of August saw a nice bump um, for those uh, under 40 horsepower here in the United States, with about two percent bump. Another bright spot is the uh, 100 plus horsepower two-wheel drive or, or front-wheel assist, uh, assist, you know, kind of those row crop tractors. Uh, in the month of August, we saw about a 13 percent increase, uh, but that brings us up to basically flat for the year on those 100 plus horsepower uh, tractors. So. Kind of a mixed bag if you look at tractors in general, with a couple of those bright spots being those, those articulated four-wheel drives. Um, so it's you know we're pretty interested in looking at those just basically being flat to the year. When you well, move on to combines, in, yeah, I was going to say going into harvest. What about combines? Combines, a completely different story. You know, it's it's funny how numbers have a have an interesting way of uh, of working themselves out. Last month when we talked, we were discussing how combines that had really softened in the month of July. Uh, we saw a little bit of an increase in units uh, in August, and ironically, that brings our year-to-date August numbers is exactly the same number of units were sold by the end of August this year at 3,035 as it was uh, this year at 3,035. So uh, combines are kind of right at right at flat for the year. Um, which sort of an, just a, an interesting story, I think, as we're approaching harvest. You know, you might see some of those shake loose um, uh, during right right before harvest, or certainly, I think, as we saw last year, if you recall, 
in uh, you know in December and January we saw big spikes in those combine numbers, which uh, I think you know that was an indication of of that late harvest and folks kind of reevaluating their equipment. Don't know what that's going to look like uh, you know this year because the harvest is is yet to begin. Uh, or it's just starting, but I think we'll be, uh, you know, time will tell what that market's going to look like at the end of the year. Yeah, this year's harvest probably later for many than uh, last year. You bet, you bet. And and later and absolutely more critical in terms of that time when you have that compressed time frame. I think, it, you know, those folks that uh, that decided to invest in a second unit uh, last year, despite the economy that they're dealing with this year, are probably going to be thinking themselves, when it comes time to harvest in that compressed window that they're dealing with. It'll be interesting then to see how this carries into next year, right? Uh, you mentioned how what you saw in December, January uh, in the past. We'll see how that plays out moving into next year. Absolutely. In fact, you know, August, September, historically in the United States, pretty soft months or lower months, lower volume months for tractors and combines because, you know, frankly, Farmers are in the fields; they're not able to not able to do it. But we do tend to see a spike in sales in October and again in December. So I think when we look at you know the September numbers, I mean we'll we'll, we'll obviously want to pay attention to those. But the big the big indicators for how well this year is going to end up is what the numbers look like in October and December. So you know we got a lot of, we got a lot of year ahead of us, um, and obviously we got some storm clouds on the horizon. Um, so I. I, I I can't necessarily predict how it's going to end, but I cer- certainly think that uh, we're well aware that it's, it's, it's hurting out there for some farmers, and we know that other farmers are are doing okay. And we're obviously keeping our eyes on the on the markets and on the global trade and on on crop conditions in general. I think the numbers are a pretty good barometer of uh, a producers' attitudes and how they feel about their particular operation and agriculture in general uh, as they go into next year. That's uh, I, I like to think that it's a pretty good indication because you know you you have to think about making a purchase for a tractor because you're not making that purchase for one year you're making that purchase for two three four five twenty years if you're buying a new tractor so you've got to feel pretty good about your business long term so you're absolutely right Mike and that that's a pretty good indication of just the overall attitude despite, you know, sort of the uh, the underpinnings of what something might look like for 2019 or even 2020. All right, Kurt, as always, thanks for the numbers, and we'll talk again next month, see what they say. You bet. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Kurt. Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to get uh, some thoughts and reaction and analysis of today's September crop report. We will also be talking more about this biofuel situation and uh, any late developments there. We'll get some analysis of what's going on. There are also some things going on with waters of the U.S., and we'll keep you up to date on those as well. So lots happening here, and and, uh, we'll get to as many as we can coming up tomorrow as we'll wrap up the week and hope that you will join us. Thanks for being with us today. Have a great day, everyone. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture.